When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. Just a bite-sized edition of the official show today. As usual, rate and review our pod wherever applicable on many podcast platforms. Be sure to check us out on social media. On Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, just search for Fish Stripes and you'll find us there for all that exclusive content. The mothership of all our coverage of the Marlins. Place to bookmark, check back every single day. It's the website, fishstripes.com. I'll be turning most of this episode over to the Fish Stripes live crew, myself and a handful of staffers as recorded on Saturday early evening reacting to the Braves' loss. The 7th out of 8th series that the Marlins have come up short of their opponent, as well as looking ahead to the final leg of this road trip against the Rockies. There's just not a whole lot of new for me to rant on about individually. I've been through it all, advocating for the call-ups of certain guys who are not coming up, pointing out the flaws on the roster that are really difficult to solve at this particular point on the baseball calendar. I just wanted to mention, of course, my fish prospects of the week, as I do on every Monday. So this week covering from May 23rd through the 29th. On the pitching side, Brian Hoeing, who I believe has won this distinction before, going eight scoreless innings for AAA Jacksonville. It's been a big breakout year for him. The 2019 draft pick would not be surprised if we are going to see him in the majors at some point later this summer. He is pitching very well doing it all in a starting role for that team, pitching almost as well at AAA as he did in AA back in April. On the hitting side, I'll go with Troy Johnston, and I just called him out earlier in the week for being one of the big underperforming hitters in the Marlins organization. He's somebody that has dropped considerably on my Marlins prospect list, and perhaps this is 
the beginning of a turnaround, just showing his immense hitting potential. Still skeptical about the power aspect of his game, but there's there's no denying the fact that he is a he should. That's what we thought coming into this year. Have a great feel for the strike zone, how to use the all, all fields, including a four hit game during this week. But just driving in a ton of runs, even if he's not hitting the ball over the wall. Lots of doubles power from this first baseman in his first year at the Double A level. An honorable mention to Braxton Garrett, who has been out for a few weeks with a shoulder impingement. He's just made it back to AAA. This was his first outing with the Shrimp, I believe, in about a full month. And he had looked pretty solid at the start of the year in this outing, going five scoreless innings, facing 16 batters. And if you know baseball math, that is only one over the minimum. He was nearly perfect in this outing. Still not fully stretched out to be a starter, but he is yet another guy knocking on the door for a big league opportunity, especially considering the uh, shaky back end of the Marlins rotation right now. So good to see from him. Everything else that you want to know about the Marlins, that was covered on our live stream as disseminated on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Be sure to check them out, entering the opening game of every Marlins series, uh, no matter where they are in the standings. So this was a, a pretty bitter one to do, but we felt it was important anyway. Hope you enjoy, and I hope you tune in live to these editions of Fish Trips Live all season long on those platforms. Enjoy. Why bother with empty shelves at retail stores? Waiting three days for a break to fill or driving across town to find out your hobby shop closed at four when you always have a card show in your pocket. With Loop, you can instantly buy cards, packs, boxes, or into auctions with the click of a button and do it all while chatting with some of the best personalities and the best community in the hobby. Download the Loop app now on iOS or Android. Loop, a card show in your pocket. Fish Tripes Live, presented by Loop. That is L-O-U-P-E. It's just three of us today. Uh, no Noah, no Alex. Uh, it's Eli and Isaac with us here. The Marlins lose two out of three to the Braves. Uh, let's just get right into that. Isaac, what were your thoughts on that Braves series as a whole? Especially Game 3, because yesterday we were on spaces uh, talking about Games 1 and 2 a little more. So let's just go into the yeah, I think the game that, you know, they really needed to win was Friday because I think we were pretty confident going into Saturday's game that they would come out on top. And we were pretty confident in Sunday's game that they were not going to win. So I think if they wanted any chance to win the series, it was going to have to be Friday. And just disappointing, you know, Eliezer's trouble with the long ball continues. Three home runs today, two to Ozuna, one to Riley. The slider just looked pretty flat. So uh, I'm not surprised. And now they got a tough test in, in Denver starting tomorrow. And uh, we, we, were we talk about this game with Max Fried, which was the opposing pitcher, probably had his best start against the Marlins in his career, I guess we could argue, because he is not the most successful pitcher when facing the Marlins. So, Eli, what were your thoughts on Max Fried and just Eliezer as well? Yeah, before we get to Max Fried, I have some highlights of Eliezer today. He's serving up meatballs because it wasn't just his fastball today. These are all sliders that just stayed, yikes, right in the middle of the plate. And thank you, of course, to our friends at Ballet Sports Florida for getting these great angles of it for whatever reason, wanting to 
marinade in it. Yeah, these were just hanging. It was, he didn't have a whole lot working today. Um, and obviously didn't give them any length whatsoever. Just going four innings is pretty typical. We've been calling on this for how many weeks now? Has it been almost a full month now where we've been saying that, you know, he shouldn't be in the rotation. And at this moment, it's kind of by necessity. Uh, in light of the exciting news about Edward Cabrera, you do the math and you need five starters. And so many of the other guys in the mix for that are dealing with injuries. So they are kind of stuck with Eliezer at this moment, even though um, aside from a couple like high points, there have been two starts, I think, all year where he's been actually good and everything else. It's in this, in this middling, mediocre middle that's just not acceptable for a team in this kind of situation. Yeah, in terms of Max Fried, he's he's been great overall the last few years, just for whatever reason against the Marlins, not quite the same level. He's had some of the worst starts of his career against the Marlins and not so much today facing a lineup that uh, on paper was actually one of the better lineups that they've put out in a while because Jazz finally coming back from his little hamstring scare and Wendell being in there again. Um, I suppose the bottom of the lineup was kind of weak because um, first game of Nick Fortes coming back up from AAA and whenever Astadio is in there, as much as we enjoy the comic <laughs> relief, you know, it's not, it's not a good sign that for your team to put up much offense when the best case scenario with him is a little seeing eye single. And he did get one of those today and he got two of those in the previous game. That's great. Just not a great team right now. I think the easiest way to sum it up is seven of the last eight series they've lost. Just that's an incredible long stretch of bad baseball that teams in the playoff mix just simply do not have these kind of long stretches. Every team has little dips a week at a time, maybe two weeks, but this is really the entire month of May. They've just been bad at baseball. Which series did they win? Against the Nationals. Nationals. Against the worst team that they've played all year. That's the one that they actually won at home. And they, they almost yeah. swept that series. And now that looking back at it, they really did need to sweep that series because of how they have just been unable to stick with these competent teams. And the Braves aren't even great. The Braves are not great. The Braves have their own issues as well. The, the difference between these teams is not very big entering series. And you just need close games to go your way as you said um series opener that was a big missed opportunity yeah yeah i mean just once again to read max freed's line uh six innings pitch six hits one run one earned run that was the home run from jorge soler who had two home runs uh three walks and five strikeouts he is at with 104 pitches thrown that is a 310 era um eliezer four innings seven hits four runs all earned no walks uh, three strikeouts, uh, three home runs, 77 pitches thrown, and a 5.77 ERA. I mean, the only other thing that we can mention about this game was the bullpen. That was a little, it, it struggled a little bit today, at least from my eyes. We saw Richard Blyer come back for the first time since going on the COVID IL. So, uh, Isaac, what were your thoughts on the bullpen? I think the real big struggle was mainly Tommy Nance, who uh, in just one inning pitch gave up three, two earned runs. Yeah. Um, just, just didn't look good out there compared to his previous starts. And then Dylan Floro came in and had probably another good outing uh, in one inning pitch. Yeah, another outing without a strikeout. And as Eli mentioned, what is that, eight innings pitch now? Only one strikeout? One strikeout all year since come back one from strikeout. So Floro's yeah. still not there. And I think, like you said about Estudillo being in there, I think anytime you see Tommy Nance pitching and Estudillo in the lineup, chances are you're not going to win that ball game. But besides that, besides Tommy Nance, the bullpen was actually pretty fine. They kept Miami in the game for as much as they can when Eliezer gives up three home runs worth about what 1200 feet of home runs um <laughs> but yeah head blyer well yeah head and blyer floral all kept the Braves scoreless so 
besides that, besides Nance, everyone else pretty did their part in the, out of the bullpen. Yeah, and for the ones wondering how the Marlins actually scored, it was Jorge Soler, a solo homer in the first inning. That was a bomb. Uh, a homer in 29 ballparks, not Camden Yards, obviously. Uh, and then another so, uh, two-run shot with John – with it was Nick Fortes, who I, w- I want to get into after this. But uh, Ho- Soler with another home run now with 14 on the year. No, 13. I'm sorry. 11. Oh, just 11. 11 and shit. Right. Which is good. Which is year. good. That puts him on pace for close to 30, 40 30. at this point. I think it's 30. So yeah, 11, uh, 11th, 11 home runs. He's tied with Girard for, I guess, the, 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 the most amount of homers throughout the whole Marlins org. Um, and then Nick Fortes has a pretty good game for him. Two hits, one walk. Now, uh, the walk was a hit by pitch when she got hit in the head. Uh, he's fine. He looked completely fine, got up right away. Isaac, you were talking a lot about Fortes in our group chat. So, your thoughts on Fortes, his swing. You know, how, how is this guy better than Payne Henry compared to just how is he better than Henry? Well, I think the one thing that Penry had over him was probably the defense. And just my thought about it, Lewis didn't make that point that there is a lot to be desired with Fortes. But I think when you have your starting catcher such a defensive-oriented, you know, like Stallings obviously is, you know, a very good defensive catcher. I think when your number one catcher is already very good defensively, you have some, like, leeway to have with your backup not being exactly so defensive-oriented. So I think if you have a, you know, your Fortes can get away with being just a really good hitter and not be the best backstop. So I think he was the better option, in my opinion, out of spring training. I was very surprised they went with Payne Henry. And I know Fortes wasn't exactly, you know, carrying the cover off the ball in AAA, but he hit everything in major leagues last year in September. It was September, so you can't take it too seriously. But good see he's hitting 1,000 to start this year, so we'll see how, how he continues. Yeah, and in minor league baseball, Fortes was hitting 257. 342, 381, and 723. He he was off to a very slow start at the beginning, if I remembered. If I remember, uh, it was just now when he really, really got it going towards that towards this stretch now. So I guess the big news. So I, I had something else completely lined up, but Edward Cabrera, major leaguer now, uh, after in the major uh, minor leagues went one and two with a 4.56 ERA, 23 innings pitched, 32 strikeouts, and a 1.352 WHIP. This was reported by Craig Mish just after the Marlins lost. Um, Eli, your initial reactions. I know you were you posted on Twitter today that you would lose your mind if Edward did not pitch in Colorado. He is yeah. now expected to pitch on Tuesday in that second game of the three-game set. So what are your thoughts on Cabrera being up in the major leagues and how much of an impact you'll bring? I'll just say I had a feeling that this was going to be the moment that they called him up. Um, for obvious reasons, even though it's a little bit overdue, frankly, um, I don't know. I thought a couple starts ago he had shown exactly what they were looking for in terms of his complete use of his repertoire. You know, coming up, I think as recently as 2019, everybody was pointing to his changeup as that one pitch that was really going to make a difference for him. But this year, it's been more of his breaking balls, both his slider and his curveball. What you're seeing here is usually it's the slider that he's using to put away batters, but what he's doing with his curveball to steal strikes, I've mentioned this before on the stream, how I, I just think he's been a really well-rounded pitcher, even though the results don't totally like point to that. You know, The results have been up and down as recently as his most recent outing. I just don't put too much stock into that as a guy that has already pitched at AAA last year. When I see somebody repeat a level, I just don't look at the stats all that much i just look at the process and to me he looks healthy he's throwing we talked about his stuff his stuff is awesome his velo is top notch it is sandy caliber velocity and even though we saw him the only reason why this is not even a bigger moment of celebration for people is because of course we saw him in the majors last year 
And he really disappointed in the majors last year. We thought he was ready last year and he clearly wasn't, but I think he's going to be more successful this time around. So the question is the exact timing of this. As I said, I would have liked to see this a couple of weeks ago, but it's become just unavoidable with the news today. The latest update about Luzardo that he still has not started throwing yet. And Mattingly just being honest about how he has to, once he does start throwing, he needs to build up the workload again over a course of rehab outings. Um, initially, this is something the Marlins at the very beginning, they were being very insistent. And this was including Mish, what he was reporting that this was supposed to be a minor injury that they thought they were going to get Luzardo back by now, that he was supposed to be back by now. And the reality that this has turned into a significant, like down significant option, like waiting time for him has really changed everything. And it has left them with no alternative, but to call up Edward right now, because they have this vacancy in the rotation and, they really just do not have many other options to go to in this situation. So I think this is a good one, all things considered. Yeah, um, gonna go here to you, Isaac. Um, you know, let's say Max Meyer was still healthy and throwing. Would you believe this would have been the Max Meyer call up, or you're confident that it would have been Edward all along? Because Max Meyer, I mean, statistically was pitching just far better than Edward Cabrera, although Eddie was doing more, I guess, rehab assignments and all of that and wasn't to his best, but. You know, do you think this would have been the Max Meyer call-up? A lot of hypotheticals there because, you know, if it wasn't an injury, we don't know if he would have struggled in those two starts. We don't know if he was pitching hurt. Um, but let's say he was healthy and he kept throwing. I think it would have been Max. I think it would have been Max sooner than now. And maybe we would have had both Max and Edward in the rotation. You know, who knows? That could have been a possibility. You know, Edward could have been joining Max and both of them would be pitching in Colorado this week. But... You know, I guess there's no reason to think too much about it. Edward's finally here. Hopefully, you know, he harnesses some of that, those control issues that he was dealing with in AAA. But I think he'll be fine. It's going to be a major upgrade. Rather than doing a bullpen game in Denver, that did sound like a recipe for success. So I'm really happy that they, they call up Edward. Like Eli said, it was long overdue. Yeah, and just so people know, or to remember, for the ones that remember, Edward was in the major leagues last year. He was 0-3 with a 5.81 ERA in seven games pitched, all started. He went 26.1 innings with 28 oh, strikeouts and a 1.63 whip. So not the best start, but if we remember, Jesus Sanchez, who we're going to get into right now, didn't have the best start to his 2020 in 2020 to his major league season, and then 2021 very much impressed us. Now in April, he really did impress us a lot. We thought this would be the breakout star for the Marlins, and we look at May right now, and he's hitting 145, 203, 261, 464. Um, that's the slash line, and that probably just dipped a little more because I wrote this right right before the game ended, so that definitely dipped a little bit. Isaac, I mean, is it time to send the guy down? What do you do about what 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 adjustments do you think the the league has made to this guy? And is it just time to call up a guy like Gerard Carnestone who's just been mashing AAA? It stinks for Jesus. I really did think that he was going to be the best offensive piece that this team had, and he was off to that crazy start in April. It was almost like his start in AAA last year. It's you know he started that way in the majors this year. Yeah. So like I just wow, I mean, he really did fall off a cliff. You know, at this month of May, you mentioned it. I think the stats are even worse in the last like two weeks with him. This the yeah, at bats are just not there. They don't look. They're not competitive. Competitive at bats. They're he's swinging out of his shoes. The velocity right down the middle, he's, you know, not taking – he's just not as patient anymore. He's he's really guessing, you know, more times than not. And obviously, it's not a recipe for success there. So, I 
think you're getting to the point where you might have to consider sending him down. I really was not an advocate for that. I think that's like the worst thing they could have done. But at this point, he really is struggling. And the only thing that's maybe keeping him up here is that De La Cruz hasn't really been setting the world on fire. So you can't send, you know, have De La Cruz starting every single day in the outfield. With Brian Anderson a little bit banged up right now. I think that's one of the reasons why he's still up here. But uh, I, I do think that he would, you know, benefit from some time in AAA because he is just not hitting the ball well at all. It's it's tough to see. Yeah, pretty much the same question to Eli. Your thoughts on Jesus? What, what would the solution be at this point? <sighs> yeah, I, I would. I do think that sending him down has to be on the table. It's just it's unclear exactly how how you address that. I know people are clamoring for Gerard Encarnacion, but that defense is not going to be playable if it's him and Garcia and Soler all together. I mean, we, we had concerns about Sanchez's defense in center field. And what we've seen is that actually like athletically and in terms of um, he does a lot of things surprisingly adequately in center field. But the problem is they're, they're the big mistakes that he makes that cost him three bases, four bases, that those are just unacceptable. And those are the ones that I was always worried about. I didn't think he would be able to like learn that stuff this deep into his professional career as a guy that moved off of center field a bunch of years ago, early in his minor league career. Those are things that are hard to teach. And as we've talked about, about how the Marlins traded multiple like internal center field options over the winter in the minors, um, presumably because they were, they felt that they were either going to trust Sanchez or they were going to acquire an experienced veteran to fill that void. And it, it just, it's really hard to see where they go from here. I like Peyton Burdick as well. I think he's a little bit more playable defensively than somebody like Encarnacion. He might even be better in center field than Sanchez is. Um, there are some, I, I mean, that's an option. I'm, I can't tell you that I'm super confident in Burdick being uh, successful right away in the big leagues. Like he's a guy that I think would strike out even more than Sanchez does. Uh, the question is whether he does enough with his other plate appearances to make up for it. He's, he's going to get on base more, so that's something. Um, I know he's going to hit the ball over the wall a, a few times, but I don't know if there's going to be quite enough in between the home runs and the walks to make him ready right now. That's one option. He's not on the 40-man roster either, so they would have to find a way to get him on. That makes sense. That's one scenario. Dela Cruz has been the one that has been avoiding a lot of the heat because the expectations on him have never been as high as on Sanchez, but he's, he's had a really bad week. I don't think he had a hit all week and he made, he was in right field today, made a really bad Oof. play defensively, which really? should have been a pretty routine out and turned it into, I guess it was a double and made things even tougher on either. It was Eliezer. They may, may have already gone to the bullpen at that point. Eliezer. Yeah. That came back to, to hurt them in that situation as well and and we so his overall numbers at this point are not that much different than sanchez even though he's a more aesthetically pleasing type of player he's the fundamentally sound player and more so but it, there's just yeah not a lot of great options at this point it's something i'd have to think more about is to um when when to pull the trigger on sending sanchez down this is a pretty extended stretch because it we talked about the marlins being bad throughout all of april this goes back with sanchez to late april I should have said that, yeah. So it's been a longer, for him individually, this has been a longer slump than even the team itself. It's a pretty big sample that something's not right. They tried giving him a couple of days off at certain points. So they've tried that, which has been, that's a pretty common tactic of giving guys that mental reset. And it hasn't made much of a difference for him. 
so I, yeah, I think they have to seriously consider um, considering where they are in the standings and how urgently they have to win games. It's yeah. It's I think at the very least that he won't be playing a ton. Just won't be starting a ton in this Rockies series. Playing, this is the biggest outfield in baseball. So I think this is an excuse to use Dela Cruz more defensively. I think that's the one thing that you think he could do a little bit better than Sanchez is definitely cover that ground. That's that's one thing that I would hope that they do is rely on the guy um, with every game being so precious. I think this is you're not going to see Sanchez playing every day, at least for uh, another foreseeable future. Yeah, yeah. His last 14 games, he's, you know, slashing 222, getting on base at 243. So PS is below 550. So, you know, mm-hmm. you're not exactly replacing him with Mickey Mantle. So it's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough stretch for Miami. Yeah. And, and we, we mentioned the offense. This is getting to the defense as well. I guess really we, we could say that that series in Miami against the Braves where, where he couldn't make that catch in center field, just a bad route running. Because to be honest, that, you know, early April, uh, that that first portion of the season when the team was on that seven game win streak, things were clicking. Yeah. He looked pretty good in center field. You know, he looked like a serviceable center fielder that could really get it going. But that just hasn't been the case. And you know, you mentioned Gerard. I mean, I guess we should talk about him a little bit. Twenty twenty two, he's hitting three fifty five, three ninety six, five seventy three, nine sixty nine with eleven home runs in AAA. He's hitting two seventy three, three hundred four, five forty six. 853 home runs. This guy is currently actually on the 40-man roster, so making that move of um, sending down Sanchez and bringing up a guy like Gerard would be a lot easier, but uh, now that just gets a little bit harder because Avisal Garcia is back with the team. Uh, Potique goes to the IL, and Joe Dunian is DFA'd. I don't, I, I expect him just to get outrighted to AAA, to be honest. I'd be yeah. surprised if he gets picked up, but uh, I, I guess we should start with the Potique move, which is the one that I guess really wasn't expected. Someone complained about it, but Isaac, uh, what were your thoughts on the current moves that were made? Yeah, well, I guess Poteen, he he was roughed up in Tampa Bay. He gave a five runs, I think it was, in the first inning. So I guess maybe you could sort of put it on that. Uh, it's going to be tough. It's like, you know, that's why we're talking about Edward Cabrera. You know, Poteen, Luzardo, a bunch of guys injured. So, yeah, that's tough to see. Hopefully, I, from what I understand, it's not too serious of an injury. I guess they had a DFA Joe Dunans, my good pal, just to make room on the 40 man again for Avi, which, you know, kind of stinks. But hey, that's just, I guess, the way it goes. I think he'll go, like you said, Kevin, he'll probably be out right back to AAA, I hope. But it doesn't really make much sense to lose him to another team. So I, I assume they're pretty confident that he'll stay within the organization. So I'll ask you this, Eli. I, Joe Dunan was on the 40 man. I had no idea. Yeah, so they, I think, if I'm understanding this correctly, they handled it kind of sloppily. Like, if they had removed him directly in exchange for either Birdie or Blyer, then do because they were the COVID cases, that they would be allowed to slide him off the 40-man without having to DFA him, like they right. did with Eric Gonzalez. With Eric Gonzalez, they did not DFA him. They called it, what, they returned right. substitute player. That's Return, the yeah. terminology. With Dunant, they kept him around a little bit longer after um, they op- – I should say that they sent him down, I think, in exchange for Wendell, right? And Wendell uh, was not a COVID case, so they sent him down. Um, and I, I think at that point, he was just an, a regular 40-man guy at that point. So then after – by do, making that order of operations, sending him down one day before Birdie actually came back, I think that's how they got into the situation. Yeah. Um, 
I would I would assume that they did this with a very strong belief that he's going to clear waivers and stay in the organization. It's going to be a bad look if they don't, because this seems to be my understanding very easy to have avoided this if they were super worried about losing Dunand, if they were if they thought they were going to lose him. We'll we'll see how it plays out over the next uh, few days, but I think this signals that they're confident that he's going to clear, he's going to stay in the organization. And this is, I'm, I'm going to do this more often to actually show people what the roster looks like at any given moment when we talk about this stuff, because we already covered Eddie Cabrera. He's coming back up and he's going to join this pitching staff. So we should probably talk about who they send down in place for Cabrera, because this is a full roster right now. It's 14 hitters. It's 12 pitchers. You're going to send down a hitter when they bring up Eddie. And so who do we, this is some, this is interesting who it's going to be. I guess it could be Astadio. Right. It could be Dela Cruz or Sanchez. Those are really the options at this point. And I think a lot of people assume Astadio. Um, then again, we know that Dela Cruz has already been sent down a couple times this year, once in spring training and called up before opening day. And then they tried, they send him down before the COVID stuff happens in San Diego and immediately brought him back. That, <laughs> So we'll, that'll, that'll be curious exactly what they do here. I, I think I would certainly, uh, I, I actually don't know because we just had this conversation about Sanchez and how he could probably, uh, it might be the right step at this point, given his extended struggles. So I actually don't want to make any assumptions. I just want to point out that they are going to, before Tuesday's game, when Cabrera is going to start, they're going to send down one of those hitters. And it could be Astadio and people won't really mind it much. Or it could be the popular Dela Cruz or the highly touted Sanchez. And that would be a pretty big deal. But they yeah. can go in a few different directions here. And I don't know the severity of you know his back spasms, but maybe another one is that Brian Anderson goes on the IL, a 10 layer. Mm-hmm. I guess like I, I don't know the severity of it. You know, if it's like a Yelich situation where he had really lingering back issues. If I remember correctly, it was like the first time that BA has ever dealt with something like this. So mm-hmm. I expect him to be fine, but that is another option. But I'm with you really. It'd be Asudio, in my opinion. I think, you know, if BA is fine, then maybe he can be one of the outfielders in DLC or Jesus. I don't know if popular is the word. I guess to know he's popular, but. And to yeah. me, I like him a lot too. I've just, uh, I, I can be honest about his level of performance, whereas Noah is a little bit biased. Yeah, 30 home runs for Brian De La Cruz. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. It's either BA, IL, Stins, or. Uh, or one of those, or RCD or one of the outfielders for sure. It's the only options. So I guess we could expect BA to not play this series in Colorado. So if I think if, he's not going to play the whole then series, then you send so down I would, Sanchez. I would put him in the IL. You know. Okay. Well, then there's a day off, or no, there's actually no day off this week. So no, there isn't. So all right. So maybe the only reason why I would say Sanchez is because let's say Anderson doesn't play this series, you're going to have to put Birdie in the outfield a lot more. So meaning Astudio will have a need in the infield. You bring up Eddie, so maybe yeah. it's time for Sanchez to go down. And also, they've been trying to send down Brian De La Cruz since spring training. So they send him down in spring training. He stays on the roster because of the expansion. Then I think it was after the Anaheim series, he gets sent down once again, but immediately called up. Yes, I just said that, Kevin. We got to cover Oh, you did? Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so I guess we could go on. I, to- say, I think one thing that they that might ugh, that might make Marlins reluctant in sending down Sanchi is that you know the, there's only three lefties, you know, offensive yeah. players. So they might want to just keep one of them because really, besides Wendell and Chaz, you know, Jesus is the last one. So unless they want to call up Blade 
I think they're gonna. I think they're. Gonna, I don't think they're gonna send down Sanchi yet. I think if we go into like seventh or eighth of June and he's still struggling, they will for sure send him down. But I don't think. It, I don't think that's gonna be the move. Yeah, you know, surprisingly, Miggy Rose hitting better than Sanchi and Jacob Stallings is hitting better than Sanchi. So that's us. That's us quite a lot. But I think it, we could go into a loop ad, and we'll be right back. Yeah, give me two seconds to find it. There we go. Why bother with empty shelves at retail stores? Waiting three days for a break to fill or driving across town to find out your hobby shop closed at four when you always have a card show in your pocket. With Loop, you can instantly buy cards, packs, boxes, or into auctions with the click of a button and do it all while chatting with some of the best personalities and the best community in the hobby. Download the Loop app now on iOS or Android. Loop. A card show in your pocket. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. And we are back. Fish Reps Live presented by Loop. Uh, you could download their app and you could visit their store at Winwood. Everything is down there. I guess we should talk about a little bit of these minor leaguers because, as you mentioned, I think we were talking about this today in the morning before before the game. And I think Alex mentioned it, Alex Carver, mentioning how some guys aren't getting the chance they deserve, like Charles LeBlanc, Lewin Diaz, Gerard Carnacion, and... A guy like Lorenzo Quintana, maybe, who's down there, but that probably won't happen due to Fortes not being back up. So I guess we could start with Isaac. I mean, who are the guys that you think deserve a chance that are down there and and should just be a, a major league right now? Because, I mean, Lewin's kind of difficult to, to have him up right now because we Aggie and, and Coop are just absolutely dominating this month of May, both of them hitting over 250. You're just slugging over to that 500 marker. It's... It's very impressive what they're doing. And if it wasn't for the Cooper and Aggie homers on Friday, this Miami team would not be in that position where they were in that game. Yeah. You know, I think the one guy, I think you, those two guys, they mentioned Cooper and Aguilar. They're, I think Gerard is one injury away to having, a, you know, one of those guys going down, being called up. He's really earned a spot. You know, he killed Pensacola all years, having an OPS of over 1,000. Jacksonville, he's played really well, hitting 273 and also slugging well over uh, 500. So I think he's the guy that I would really like to see. He's like someone that could really put a jolt in the lineup, you know, and has like light tower power, some of the most best raw power in the entire system. So he's the guy who I really think has earned a spot, and he's been on the 40-man for a while now. I think for this is his, what, third year perhaps on the 40-man? Yeah. So I think, I, think, I think he's a name that really stands out to me of deserving a chance. Lewin also as well, but... It's, they they're really congested in that in that first HDH spot because I wouldn't really trust Gerard in right field at this point. I think that there's a reason they put him at first base in the minors. So I think 
uh, they're going to have to do something eventually about that. But to answer your question, Gerard, for me. Who would it be for you, Mr. Eli? <laughs> yeah, pro- probably the same thing. I like, and I've, I've used this comp a lot before. I think it still applies, even though people are getting really excited about Gerard's production, is that it, it does his, his player profile is a lot like Garrett Cooper to me. I, I don't think he's going to dominate the whole league, but I think his absolute best case scenario is that he develops enough of this plate approach to draw his walks when he doesn't get hits and to make enough loud contact when he does get into good counts to to like maintain a high batting average and a really good slugging percentage as well with, with Cooper. Now Cooper's just a lot older. We, we need to keep in mind like that Cooper is now 31 and Gerard is still only 24. So that's one reason why I guess at this stage of his career, they've kind of given up the idea of Cooper playing any outfield. Whereas I think eventually uh, Gerard is going to reach the same point as well. For the meantime, his fit on this team and the reason why he might be up before Lewin or get more playing time than him this year potentially has something to do with that. He can at least fake it. He at least has the arm for that position and at least has a lot of experience there, even though he's made a lot of mistakes there as well. So I I like them both very much. I like Lewin as a player overall more, but I just understand that the way they've aligned this roster, the way that they've set it up with both Aguilar and Cooper at the same time, it just makes it even more difficult for him to, fit in. I know all of us, I think on the last stream, the news broke about Avi Garcia going to the IL, and we <coughs> presumed that just like some of the uh, other recent examples of IL stints, that it was going to be a positive COVID case, that he was going to be out a while, and that would have created some really interesting decisions if he was going to miss a significant amount of time. You know, Thankfully, for for his sake, he's fine. It, it was a false positive so, or false symptoms. He's back in record time. And that just means that it's a longer wait until we really get to have these conversations and understand how they fit into this roster. Yep. I think it's time to preview the next series tomorrow. Is going into, they were going to Coors field to play the Colorado Rockies, a team who is 21 and 26 at the moment. Um, last time Miami went to Colorado, mm-hmm. it was not fun, not fun at all. Um, there was a, an incident there. We won't talk about that. Uh, the Marlins almost got 20 runs scored on them. And I think we all predicted that the Marlins would sweep or most of us did at least. So the line starters are Pablo Lopez versus Ryan Feltner tomorrow. Uh, it'll be, I guess now Edward Cabrera versus Herman Marquez. And I think the line starter for the Marlins is Trevor Rogers. I'm not sure who it is for Colorado, um, but that would be the third game. Miami's going into course field where, Hitters have fun. Uh, we could say that one. So Isaac, what are your original, your 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 original thoughts on this team and going into the series against the Rockies? What the crust, man? They have a better record than the Marlins. That's uh, yeah, not by much, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty chill record. Um, yeah, no, like Eli mentioned off stream that this is not a very good ball club. They obviously play much better at home. They just lost a couple of games to the Nationals this weekend, so you know they're coming off a sort of a shitty series against the Washington Nats. So I think this is a time for, you know, you have the, one of your Cy Young competitors out there for game one. You have Edward Cabrera, game two, Trevor Rogers, game three. So this is a series where you should win two out of three, but we say that every time. So but I, I'm pretty confident that Miami will win. I'm not going to spoil my prediction, but I would, I would say that Colorado is not at full strength right now. Yeah. They are not a great team. Yeah. Lost to the Nats, also lost to the Pirates right before that. As you can see, they play better at home. Um, so that's something that there's a little more weight on their home road splits than other teams. Players that have been with the Rockies talk about this, how 
the ball travels so much differently home and away. And do you, you usually think about it from the pitcher's perspective, but also for the hitters, it is the Rockies hitters that get so used to playing in high altitude. And then all of a sudden it's normal. They struggle to make that adjustment. I feel bad for that franchise. There's a reason why that <laughs> franchise hasn't won a world series. Um, but I, I think they've only been to one and they got swept the one world series. Yeah. So they, um, it's tough. They, that is that, that what makes them so unique and what the fans really like the fans love course field and all that, but it's difficult to field a competitive team up there. It is in some aspects a disadvantage for them. Yeah. You mentioned the last time they were in course field to like go back to that series more. So Mattingly was out due to COVID. That was one of the series that James Rousen was in as the interim manager. And he just did not have a real team to use. They had David Hess make a start. I remember he was, he, was, he was an opener and I, I can't, I'm not even going to look it up. He gave up a handful of runs and like just one inning. I don't know if he made it out of one inning. <laughs> so that series got really ugly in a year where the Rockies were also pretty mediocre that year as well. And this year got off to a good start, but they've been about as bad as anybody right up there, right down there with the Marlins over the last few weeks in terms of just not doing anything all that right. Uh, you said a Herman Marquez is one of the projected starters here. He's been killing my fantasy team. I thought he was going to be great this year, and yeah. he's having the biggest struggle of his entire career to this point. He, he's supposed to be the ace of their rotation probably coming into this year. Instead, he's getting crushed and hit around so much, a 630 ERA. Mm-hmm. He's allowed more runs and hits than any other pitcher in baseball this season. Uh, and Evan brings up Solaire. I think we were hearing that Solaire – almost may have had an offer from the Rockies this past offseason. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was like firmly reported. I, I know that Mish had like floated at like referenced that at some point. You referenced it many times actually. Yes. Yeah, so, as whether that would make sense or <laughs> as I, I'm getting some engagement. What I like about the Rockies is that their SB nation site, purple row, they're a lot of fun. So that should be at least on Twitter. We'll have some nice exchanges with them, uh, win or lose. So, but Solaire would. This is going to be pretty. You would think a good series for him. There have been a few balls this year, despite all his home runs. A few balls have been like stopped on the warning track, and this is the exact type of ballpark where those warning track balls everywhere else they go over the wall. I talked to this in the group chat, Kevin, about barrels and how a lot of home <laughs> runs, almost all home runs, are barrels. But in Colorado, because of the thin air, even if you don't get all the ball, even if you like get underneath it and it's not an actual barrel, it can still go out. That's just the that's the main difference in playing conditions. So again, I won't give away my pick predictions quite yet. I am cautiously optimistic about this series. I think obviously Garcia hits a hits a four hundred and sixty footer this this series. That's that's one Hopefully. of my predictions. Hopefully, like, really quick to reminisce that game that Eli was referring to. David has did start. He threw one inning, gave up six hits, seven earned runs. <laughs> Oh and then Sean Gunther followed him for a two and two thirds, and it gave up four and runs. So it was not a it was not a fun time. Yeah, well, some good was... names that I remember from those Rockies teams back then. Yeah, Our guy they... John Rodriguez, listening along. Yeah, it was it was not a fun series in Colorado. Um, so we mentioned Coors Field and everything that comes with that field. So how much will that help the Marlins offensively? You know, we mentioned Jorge Soler, but Jazz Chisholm has. Has a good amount of power. Hopefully, this maybe could be the series where he struggled in Atlanta just yes, just today, 0-4 with two Ks. Not a good comeback for him. So, um, this I guess is a question for both of you. How much will help the Marlins, and who are you most excited to see playing Coors Field? 
Well, I'll flip it around about who I guess we could be somewhat concerned about this being Cabrera's first start back in the majors since yep. last year. Um, I, about exactly how this is going to go, where he could make good pitches in Colorado and get bad results and what that does to a pitcher's mentality. I, I think it's an absolute right call to bring up now because of how much the Rockies are struggling and how you need to win these games. And he gives them a better opportunity to win these games than like a bullpen game would. That being said, um, by bringing him up, they want to keep him up with Lazardo's injury situation and now Poteet. This looks like ideally they want Cabrera now to stick in the majors the rest of the year which means that you're looking also past this one start as well. You want him to, you want success in this one start, but by bringing him up, you're also looking to the big picture as well. And you want, you want him to get into good habits and make good pitch decisions here. He made some really questionable decisions last year that we kind of drilled into about how he wasn't using his fastball as much as anybody expected. And despite having such a great pitch. So uh, things like that, you want, you want him to be able to separate the process from the results in this outing, not to not to get too deep into his own head because he has all the potential. So that, that on the negative side, that's what I'm concerned about. I've already talked about Solaire, but anybody else in mind, Isaac, that will have a good series in your mind, potentially. You know, yeah, just mentioning Jazz, you know, it was a tough game for him to come back after not seeing Major League Pitching for a week to come out and face a lefty and Max Freed. So that was tough for him. But of course, it's just it affects everyone the same way. You know, people have more, you know, the ball will travel more for everyone who hits the ball well. So I do think Avisoyo Garcia is going to benefit from it. He's had a lot of balls that have really died on the track as well as Soler. Yeah. He said, you know, that one in Arizona, literally the longest single I've ever seen in my life. So I, I think he'll, he's someone that will benefit from from the thin air for sure. And Jazz too. I, I like that pick. I think he, this is a stadium where I could see him hitting for the cycle. You know, it's a, I think that's another player that could really go off this week. Yeah, and we mentioned Coors Field. The Rockies are 4-11 and this season in Coors Field, so over 500, and obviously, I mean that that that's probably the best place to hit for for guys for many hitters, and I think that's what the case was last season. They were over 500 at home in Colorado, so mm-hmm. um, that that shows a lot. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about before we go into predictions is how important is this series for the Marlins as as a as a whole for this season? And I guess we could go we could start with Isaac and end it with Eli because I think we're talking about this. Last series, uh, last stream, how we mentioned how important this series could be for the Marlins because you're kind of falling out of it right now. They are seven games under 500, I want to say, is yeah. what they are at the moment with a 19 and 26 record. Fourth in the NL East, they're in the bottom, bottom of the uh, wild card and a wild card race, which should be up there. Yeah, it's right there, Miami, just under Pittsburgh. They have the same record as the Pirates, which is not good. A team that barely made any changes to their roster. With the Marlins who went out there and spent big bucks, supposedly. Um, so let's start with Isaac. How important is this series for the Marlins season as a whole? It's like deja vu. I feel like every series we're just talking about how important it is to not fall even further below 500. Uh, we were worried, hey, if they lose this series against Atlanta, they'll be seven. Here we are. If they lose this series against Colorado, at least two out of three, they'll be eight games. So I think every series from here on out is going to be important. They need to start stringing together consecutive series wins because they're—they're. Uh, they're, I'm not saying they're running out of time here, but I think it was Eli that said if they lose this the Brave series and then they lose a Rocky series that it might be time to panic. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I'd be with them. You have a tough ass four game series against the Giants, who are a great ball club, and then you have the Mets for a couple, like six times in two weeks in June. After not right after, but 
they have them coming up. It's it's a very important series. I I think I could possibly see them winning a, like winning all three, but it's an extremely important series for sure. Yeah, you you mentioned it. Uh, they played the Mets seven times, so two series in the month of June. They play Philly, which is you know I'm looking at June in terms of the teams are playing in the division. They're playing pretty much almost the division in June, yeah. right? except a series against Houston, a three game set. They also play the Cardinals and. Uh, San Francisco, which will be the four game set back at home. So, Eli, I think, I mean, Isaac pretty much said your answer here, but how yeah. was the series? Yeah, he did. It's all been said. I think this is really a, a must win series. And I've been, I've not used that phrase. I've been preaching patience. At this point, you just see the standings for themselves. This is just the wild card. This isn't the whole National League. This is just the wild card because we're already forgetting about the division. Regardless of all the games coming up with the Mets, they're not going to catch the Mets. I mean, the Mets are as vulnerable now as they will ever be without Scherzer, without DeGrom, and they're still running away from the division. All focus is on the wild card. They, um, and you see that the wild card race is a little bit stronger in the National League than I even thought it would be at this point. With Are they going to finish ahead of the Padres or the Cardinals or the Giants? That alone is a pretty tough task. And to do that, I mean, they've already played a lot of games. They're going to play games against uh, the Giants. So I guess the most lenient way to look at it is probably that this week is absolutely critical. When they play a team like the Giants that will be in their way in the wild card race as well, that they're going to have to be just, they're going to have to be a consistently good team from this point all the way through the end of the season in order to reach the postseason because of how deep a hole they've already dug for themselves. You take it one step at a time. We're we're excited about some of the next men up in the organization in, in AAA, but we've talked about how those guys are kind of blocked by veterans at the big league level. And um, for them to come up, it would mean something bad from in terms of the production of the guys who are actually counting on. Rockies are a bad team at this point, even though their record is better than the Marlins. I'm pretty confident that the Marlins, when all is said and done, are going to be better than this team. You need to win games like this. You um, Ideally, you need to... This is exactly the same approach as to, to playing the Nationals. I think this is a team that is in the same bucket as the Nationals are. One of the few teams that you just cannot afford to take lightly. Got to step on their necks, as they say. And they've made little moves that we think help them do that, including calling up Eddie. I'm, I'm yeah. excited and about you, Eddie. And you talk about consistency throughout the rest of the season. In July, you're pretty much only playing Cincinnati and Pittsburgh throughout that whole season. I mean, month, I'm sorry. So that's that'll be the last on that. So let's go into predictions. I know we have the leaderboard rankings. I think Eli or Alex are at the top of that one. Yeah, we don't need um, to see those. Yeah, I mean, I think Isaac is cut off from that one. Oh, no, he's right there. Six, six points. Uh, so Alex leads it, followed by Eli. Then I'm right there. It's a tie atop the standings, but I'm a nice guy, so I put Alex on top, even though we both <laughs> have the exact same number of points. We, yeah. we know him. We know he's a little sensitive to these type of things. <laughs> and he likes, he's, he's having a great season. He's been playing, picking very well, and I'm sure we'll get his picks before the, the series starts. I mean, I, I know that who's already sent in their predictions ahead of time? Daniel, 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 Daniel did. But we still have time. We still have almost 24 hours for Alex and Noah to get in. We'll be sure to post all of those on Twitter for accountability. This has been... Win or lose, this has been a fun aspect of the show now that we're yeah. actually keeping track of all this stuff. Yep. So, as usual, um, series MVP and how many games the Marlins will win or lose. Let's start with Eli Sussman. I think the Marlins will win the series. Okay. 
um, I've been surprised that they've been as bad as they are, and I think they are going to win two out of three, not sweep it, even though they could really use a sweep. They'll win two out of three. Uh, n- losing Eddie Cabrera's debut of the season, I imagine. Well, losing the middle game of it, but winning the other two, even though um, so we'll see how that plays out. And my series MVP, I'm going to go really unconventional here. Not a hitter, not a starting pitcher. Anthony Bass. Wow. First reliever chosen. They're going to bring Anthony Bass into some important spots in two of these next three games and that he's going to get the job done. That's going to give him just enough win probability added to edge out any of you guys. Marlins winning two out of three in Colorado. So so this is the first reliever chosen on this, this whole season, if I'm correct. So. All right, and, and just for the fun of it, did the Heat win tonight, Eli, yes or no? Yes. Yes, okay. they, they shock the world, and they win the series, and they go on to the finals. All right. Isaac, pretty much the same question. Who wins series MVP? And if the Heat win tonight, because why not? I think the Rockies take two out of three. I think. Okay. I think we're going to start just looking, putting our heads towards 2023. Oh, um, I think the Rockies win two. Like, not the sound of a two out of three. I think Ryan McMahon is the. What's the name mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Ryan McMahon. I think he's the series MVP. I have. A, I think Pablo might struggle a little bit, um, in his start. I and mean, I think Edward, you know, it's going to be a tough task for him in his first big league start of the year. Colorado, somewhat of a good offense, I guess, but it'll be tough. And I think they maybe carve out one of the wins. I don't know which one. Probably Wednesday, but I think they lose two out of three. Yeah, I really don't blame you for making that pick because I think we all said that they would beat the Diamondbacks with one of the worst offenses in baseball at the time. And, uh, and what, they lost five out of the six games against the Diamondbacks? Yeah, exactly. So there you have it. I, I'm going to go Marlins take two out of three. I think they'll win. I think they win the Pablo start and they win the Trevor start who's lined up. Although that Eddie start could be a win because of how bad Herman Marquez has been this season, which – could really go sweep, but I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Serious MVP, I am going to go Jorge Soler. I think every time we choose him, he never wins it, but I think this will be the, the right time for him to win. He's in Coors Field. Um, so we could see what we could have done in a full season in Colorado in only three games. Mm-hmm. So I think that is where we will end it from Eli, Isaac, myself, um, Noah, and Alex who weren't here. Daniel Rodriguez, who said they would take two out of three with CJ Crone as his MVP, very nice pick there. We'll see you guys all in the next one. Peace out and go fish.